And now, it's time for Lawyers for Jesus Radio, lighting our path through law. A show about faith in the law and in the marketplace. Featuring the partners from the law firm Mauk and Baker. Located in downtown Chicago, Mauk and Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Good afternoon. Welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. Today we're going to be finding out what it's like for a Jamaican to pastor a predominantly white church, a conservative evangelical old line mainline church, and we'll also be discussing the lesbian, gay, bisexual movement's effect on mainline Christian denominations. All this is coming up. I'm John Malk, and I'm an attorney and a partner at the law firm of Malkin Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys that focus on serving the body of Messiah with its legal needs. We do everything from zoning to estate planning, not-for-profit administration to religious freedom. You can find out more about us by going to maukbaker.com, M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. You can follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Today our guest is Pastor Ray Hilton of the First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, and by way of full disclosure, a dear brother whom I love dearly, he's my pastor and friend, and uh, he shoots a better game of golf than I do by far. We've only played once. <laughs> I don't want to give the wrong idea. But Ray, welcome to Lawyers for Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, John. It's good to be here. Now, this is the obvious question I'm sure you've been asked many times, because here you are, a Jamaican, dark-skinned, accent, uh, big fellow with a big smile. <laughs> But people are surprised when they find out you're pastoring a Presbyterian church in Evanston, actually one of the oldest churches uh, in the Chicago area. Yeah. How, how did this all come about? Well, you know, growing up in Jamaica, I was very involved with Jamaica Youth for Christ, which allowed you as a, as a worker in Youth for Christ to visit with all kinds of churches. And so even at that young age, I was very exposed to Christians of the body of Christ. Let's put it that way, of all stripes. And so when I came to the United States back in 1981, I was very open to what God wanted to do in my life. And so it was while I was in, in seminary at Duke University that I started going to a Presbyterian church. And you have to understand, I grew up mostly in the Pentecostal church, but had lots of experiences beyond that. But while at Duke University, my wife and I started going to this wonderful Presbyterian church in Durham, North Carolina. And in a very naive way, we actually thought, wow, this is great. We thought all Presbyterian churches were, were like this church. And of course, we later on found out that wasn't the case. But it was while there that we had the opportunity to uh, to partner with that congregation and ultimately transfer my credentials into the Presbyterian Church. And so you then went on to seminary? Right. So I was already in seminary there at the time. And it was after leaving that I started looking for opportunities where I could serve within the Presbyterian Church. And now that you have arrived in Evanston, yes, and this old line or main line, I guess it's probably old line too. Old line and main line, <laughs> and it's also conservative. Yes, uh, a church called you as the pastor, 
Right, in 2009. And uh, is this then the end of racism? You know, I wish I could say that. No, no, that's a, that's a great way to put it. I wish I could say that. It, it really isn't the end. I mean, as, until Jesus returns, I think our sin nature is always going to have that proclivity toward uh, looking at people in a very superficial way. And racism is one of the ways we superficially look at people. And it's a sin. And so until Jesus returns, we're going to struggle with that. We're always going to be struggling with sin. Absolutely. Now, today, I'd like you to talk a little bit about the role, not just the First Presbyterian Church, but the mainline churches in our society today. We get the picture that everybody's gone off the reservation, so to speak. Everybody has departed from the faith that Presbyterians, Methodists, Congregationalists, uh, Episcopalians, they, they no longer take the Scripture seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that universally the case, or is there, are there exceptions? No, that's not universally the case at all. In fact, um, last summer I was invited to speak at a gathering in San Diego, and this was a group of Presbyterian pastors and elders, about 850 Presbyterian pastors and elders from all across the U.S. and some from other countries. And these are churches that have decided that God isn't calling us to leave the denomination. God is calling us to stay within the denomination and to be faithful and to serve faithfully within that context. And so this was all about equipping this. We had several wonderful seminaries represented that are still faithful to scripture and to the church and the mission of the church. So as much as you see the headlines where it seems like all these mainline uh, churches have have left the reservation, as you put it, I was so encouraged being out there in San Diego last summer and preaching and meeting all these great leaders who are fired up and prayed up and committed to serving and bearing witness to Jesus right in the current status of the Presbyterian church. Well, that uh, is something I have to say, God bless you. And I, I know our listeners would say, God bless you for, for being faithful and, of course, following that call. But I have to question it, too, because we do need to question all of these things to mm-hmm. say, is this of God or is this just a reaction saying, I, I want the status quo? Our, our firm has been involved in representing four, five, or six Presbyterian churches that have left the denomination, uh, just in the Chicago Presbytery, that's in the Chicago, uh, greater northern Illinois area, and they feel their call is to come out from among them and touch touch not the unholy thing that once uh, the denomination started uh, disregarding Scripture on homosexual conduct, for Mm -hmm. example, which we're going to talk about more later, It was their duty, biblically, right. to separate. Right. What's your thinking on that and the thinking of these uh, these groups that have decided to stay in yeah. uh, as, as a minority prophetic voice, if you will, within the denomination? Right. So maybe on two levels, John, you could, you could think of it this way. One is I think every congregation and church leader has to be persuaded as to what they believe God wants them to do. And, and, and you're right, in some cases, the faithful thing to do would be to come out from among them. And I do know that currently across our nation, there are somewhere in the region of maybe 300 or 400 Presbyterian churches that have 
come out from among them, so to speak. Um, but, but the other hand is you look within the scriptures and there are instances where God would want his people to remain in situations. And one example that I think of is from the book of, De- of, of Jeremiah, where Jeremiah, of course, prophesied to a nation that was unfaithful. And yet we read in Jeremiah that God told Jeremiah and told the people to pray for the peace of the city. And the city they were referring to, of course, was the city of Babylon, that God wanted them to stay there. And to, because in the prosperity of that city, they would prosper. Now, maybe the, maybe the application isn't, isn't a fair one to make across the board, but I'm, I'm thinking that there's a place where sometimes the people of God can remain in a situation where there is unfaithfulness. And that group who remains could actually be the group that becomes the voice of either judgment or the voice that God would use to, to, to call that, that community back to faithfulness. We're hoping that as we stay engaged in the game, that God will use us to call the Chicago Presbytery, the Presbyterian Church USA, who knows, back to faithfulness. How do you imagine that call is going to take place? What, what, what would happen at First Presbyterian Church, for example, that would influence the Presbytery or, or other uh, wayward Presbyterian yes. churches? Yes. Well, I, I think one, one sign would be a, a, a clear signal that God's hand is on our church. God's blessing is on our church, maybe because of our faithfulness in the teaching of Scripture, maybe the fact that we don't just disassociate, but we actually engage with some of those leaders. We talk with them. We share the hope that we have in Christ with them, that, that maybe their hearts are going to be drawn. They'll realize that we have something missing. I mean, I have a book on my shelf right now. It was written a few years ago, but I still think the research is valid. And, and the, the question is, why is it that there are churches who remain faithful to the gospel? Those churches continue to flourish. They gain. And why is it that churches who are unfaithful to the gospel, why is it that those congregations tend to wither and die? Maybe when they see the blessing of God and the fact that these churches, our church, continue to remain faithful, we're flourishing, that they would want to know why. What are, what are we doing? And they would want to come and learn from us. That's some of the ways that I think about it. Well, okay. I'm, I'm going to put that in a scriptural context. Please. Which is provoking to jealousy. That's another way to say it, too. Which uh, was what the, what the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans 11. Yes. As the duty of the Gentiles to their Jewish friends and neighbors, we need to provoke them to jealousy. Right. What is First Presbyterian Church doing right. to provoke its Jewish neighbors to jealousy. Specifically our Jewish neighbors or the analogy of our Jewish neighbors, you mean? No, uh, specifically the oh, Jewish, the yeah. Jewish neighbors. Well, you know, one of the things we're doing, and this is maybe not a direct attempt to provoke anyone to jealousy, but we are seeing slowly but surely the development of a, a prayer ministry. And within that prayer ministry, we are believing God for revival to come, not only first to us and to our church, but also for there to be a move of God that would affect our whole community, Evanston and the greater North Shore. And we're trusting that God is going to use our leadership and the people in our congregation to have compassion and to reach out to them. Well, we're going to hear more about hopes and prayers and tasting of revival when we come back.
Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm John Mauk, partner in the law firm of Mauk and Baker, and we're talking with Pastor Ray Hilton of the First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. We were discussing provoking to jealousy, which is a clear scriptural mandate for believers in Jesus. And Ray, you had talked about provoking wayward Presbyterian churches to jealousy, perhaps by clearly has to come from God, but perhaps by a movement of the Holy Spirit at First Presbyterian Church and a revival that would provoke jealousy. Do you want to elaborate on how you hope that that might come about? Well, you know, John, life is all about desire. And um, St. Augustine had once said that, that our souls are restless until they find rest in God. And there's something about having a desire for God that is so overwhelming that it cannot be quenched. And I don't think there is any machinery, there is any, any kind of human structure, I believe, that can create that kind of desire. That's one of the, that desire, I think, comes because of the mercy of God. The great revival that started under Jonathan Edwards and, and, and even under Wesley and, and all those people years ago, those revivals came out of a movement of God creating a yearning within people's heart to be free of sin, to be saved, to walk in a, in a holy life, to, to love God in a deeper way. Now, we have a role to play in asking for that, but ultimately it's God who delivers that. Yeah, so I'll, let me go deep with that because that's a, that's, a, that's a great insight. The revival we see at the day of Pentecost uh, people coming from far distances yes. to, to, to celebrate the holiday in Jerusalem, waiting for the Messiah. And this hunger had built up, and then it was like a, a, a match to dry tinder. And I, I see in the second great awakening, you spoke of the first great awakening, Charles Finney, who's probably one of your favorites because he was a Presbyterian, one of my favorites because he was a lawyer. <laughs> That's right. And he sparked the, the Second Great Awakening, as, as I have studied it and, and read, because there was dry tinder. The church and a lot of denominations were telling people there's no, nothing you can do to be saved except to pray. Pray that God would save you. And Finney came along and uh, speaking to churches of people who have been praying for years to be saved, and he said, you need to make a decision. And he instituted the altar call and said, you need to come forward, receive Jesus, repent of your sins, and you will be saved. And so all these people who've been praying, I guess God said, I'll send Finney to light the match. Mm. But there was dry tinder. Do you see dry tinder in Evanston and North Shore, Presbyterian Church in America. I, I do. I do. And I, I have a friend who just came back from Egypt and, and I've been to parts of the Middle East where I see the church there seem to be so alive in many respects. And yet when I come back here to the U.S., I see the church here in the U.S. as being more privileged, as being more positioned, whether from a resource standpoint, building, political freedom and so on. All right, you're, you're talking wet tender to me. Wet tinder. <laughs> it's not dry. Which, well, we're privileged. We're privileged, you're, yeah. You're, having a, you're seeing revival in Egypt. I'm seeing revival in Egypt. And the question is, 
you look at condi- conditions in Egypt and you say, well, with all the difficulties and the, 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 the persecution that churches face there, they should be withering. They shouldn't be flourishing. And why is that so? And here's, here's what I believe, that what the devil is using in the United States is seduction. Seduction that comes, not persecution, but seduction that comes through the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of our own way of doing things, our sense of being so, uh, so complete within ourselves that we really don't need to depend on God to do the work of the kingdom. And it is in that departure from trusting and looking to God for help that we see the church shriveling because it's man-made. Okay, and that's... Creating dry tinder? I believe, yes, yes, yes. And, and it is out of that dryness, that spiritual dryness, that I believe will come this cry. And it's happening already. God, we need you. We need you. We need you. We need you. And it's going to come this, this, this repentance, this turning of the heart away from, from the self toward God. And I'm, I'm anticipating that that's what's going to happen. I'm believing God, that God's going to use our own so-called wealth and show how poor we are and we're going to turn to God for his riches. Well, I, I know you're going to be preaching on Revelation in the coming weeks I will and, be. and the churches of Revelation. And yes. so maybe that's right there. Uh, God, God looks at our at our weakness, our nakedness when we think, oh, we're well clothed and, and, and have, have, have plenty to eat. Well, that certainly is is our prayer for the body. Yes. Meantime, we're under assault from the gay lesbian agenda. Right. And that takes place within our churches and particularly within our mainline churches, but it's coming to just about every church. Yeah. I, I see that as a lawyer. I'm, I'm constant. There's an attack from without, but the more insidious attack is from within mm-hmm. that people don't take the scripture seriously or they don't know how to read the scripture and they've been told to read in what you want right and therefore they're departing from scripture and churches are fragmenting mm-hmm. what's your what's your way as a pastor of dealing with that assault well first of all it's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking because so many of the people that I talk to John they their compassion and their love for people caught up in the gay lifestyle is, is admirable, but often at the expense of what saith the Lord, what does scripture say? And is it possible? And this is where a lot of Christians struggle. Is it possible to have grace and truth being held up in, in close proximity? And, and some people say, no, if, if you're going to show grace, it means truth has to be thrown to the wayside. And unfortunately, many of my friends who are pastors and Christians inside and outside the Presbyterian Church have shifted to the side of grace at the expense of truth. And the result is we have, in essence, we have perverted the message of the gospel. We've perverted the message of Jesus because Jesus is a great example of somebody who held up grace and truth. He spoke the truth even the hard truth, but also he did it in a way that was graceful, that was loving, but it was still the truth. And here in North America, we struggle with being able to model what Jesus modeled. And does the church struggle with truth? And by that, I mean, we have a Bible, we have theology, 
but we've made it our own. We've made we the do. American church the center. Yes. Or at the very least, we've made Christianity and the worldwide church the center message of the Bible as having replaced Israel. Now, I know this isn't in all right. denominations, but I get the feeling that if eventually people figure this out, that if we can decide that the church has replaced Israel, notwithstanding what the Scripture says, we can decide just about anything we want that makes us feel good and feel right. Right. So, so the the Scripture is malleable. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, if one were to read Romans nine, ten, and eleven, I I don't see how you could come away with the with the idea that the church has replaced Israel. I mean. God still has a tremendous plan for the nation of Israel. And, and Romans 9, 10, and 11 bears that out very clearly. You know, we were grafted in, and Paul says, you know, we shouldn't boast as if we've arrived because it's, it's God who grafted well, us and, in. Yes, and as a pastor, you have to—I know you have to be pastoral because you've got a church history and you've got church doctrine. Right. But I congratulate you in the way that you handle infant baptism— which is a Presbyterian doctrine, which is, in my opinion, unscriptural. Right. Uh, but you got to deal with it. So you baptize babies, but you make uh, you're careful to explain that it's a dedication. Yeah. That it's not a repentance unto salvation. Right. There's no. There's no. There's no imputed grace within baptism. It's. Uh, it's. It's a way of acknowledging God's precious love for this child but that the family still has to teach the child the gospel so that at a certain age, this child will repent and come to know Jesus. And, and the pastoral message is trying to hold in tension the, the doctrines and teachings, which are church tradition, but not scriptural. Correct. But prioritizing the scriptural. Right. Absolutely. In what other areas are you struggling with that? Well, I, I would think another area would be in how we understand leadership in the church. I mean, is leadership something that comes because you've, you're, you've been at the church quite a while, you are a good Presbyterian, or is leadership a spiritual gifting? And we recognize the gift within the person and call it forth. And leadership then grows out of a relationship, a mature relationship with Jesus Christ. We're struggling with not just putting people in positions but really helping people to recognize how is God calling me and to respond immediately to that call. That's, that's, that's great. And I know you're also struggling with the inherited concept of, of ministry belonging to the clergy. To the professionals. And the, and, the, and the professionals that make it into the prayer book. Right. And that the people who are raising children or uh, practicing law... Uh, are every bit as much part of God's plan. Just as called. Amen. We appreciate having Ray Hilton, the First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, with us. God bless you, Ray. Thank you, John. Somebody.